a, a series called Rhythms for Life right now, a uh, summer series for those of you guys who may not be here. It's great to see the Daniels, great to have you guys here. Uh, just made my heart happy when I walked by and saw, oh my goodness, look at them just sitting there. It's great. Um, I used to go over to their house and, and uh, help with some drums and some guitar back in the day, uh, teaching some of their kids. So it's wonderful to have them uh, in the house this morning. Uh, so yeah, Rhythms for Life. This is a, uh, a, a series that's going through the book of Psalms. This has been really fun for me. Um, I've, I've mentioned before I took this class when I was in seminary, and uh, my professor, his name was Dr. Mark Boda. He's uh, done a lot of work with Old Testament theology. He's, he's been a huge influence in my life. He's a great and wonderful scholar, historian, um, going through what it means to study and to apply uh, the scriptures, and he comes to it from an Old Testament perspective, just really uh, really knowledgeable in the languages. Um, he teaches in various universities and prestigious uh, schools, and so it's been really fun to go back through some of my notes and uh, even dialogue with him a little bit more over some of the stuff that we've been talking about. And so um, we've been going through a couple things with this because I believe that the Psalms is a, as the largest book in the Bible, there's a reason why there's so many of these written out. And uh, I think it's, it's really important to see that when it comes to, uh, to being influenced in life, Many times we find that we are influenced by art. Art is one of the most influential things that we can find whenever it comes to even culture or the way that we do religious activities, any of this stuff. The arts are something that captivates people and it causes um, it to be a little more sticky in our minds to where we can remember and recall certain things. So it doesn't, when I say art, how many of you guys just automatically thought of painting and drawing and stuff like that, right? That's typically what you see. And that's definitely one aspect of it. But there are many, 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 many other th ways that you can be artistic. One way is through songs. Um, you, turn, you turn on your car, and how many guys ride in your car in silence every single time you go in it? Typically, you turn on a radio, right? Or you turn on your music or something like that, and you have it going on. And uh, even if you're not singing along with it, it's just kind of like white noise. It's in the background, and it's, and it's going through. And, uh, and what we don't realize is sometimes is, as much as we listen to certain things, it will start to shape us in some way. And our subconscious will start to go to that a little bit more and more. And so this is one method. Another method would be through, uh, through film or TV or through pictorial things, through things that we can visually see. That's another way that we are heavily influenced. How many of you guys have ever traveled to a destination and, be, and have been uh, just awestruck at the things that you have seen, whether it be in nature or maybe it was like the first time you went to a city and it was just overwhelming and looking at all the things and that kind of changed the way that you viewed a couple things just in seeing the images of what was in front of you. How many of you guys have ever listened to a song and then you went to a concert to hear that, that artist perform? And it was very different. It was even more impactful. You felt the, almost like the, the electricity that was in the atmosphere. You felt the emotion a little bit deeper as well when you were going through it. These things are very transformative in the way that we, are, that, that we engage with it and the way that we apply it. Uh, same thing, I've, I've used this example before, but how many of you guys, whenever someone asks you to quote the ABCs, you just speak it and that's it without doing the song in the back of your head? <laughs> or how many of you guys actually sing the song, even if you're speaking and you're like, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, P, Q, R, S, T. You do that, right? Yeah, it's the, t the tune. What was about the tune? The tune was the thing that helped it become sticky. Right? It was the thing that helped, helped you be able to apply it and remember it. Now, anybody goes, ABCs, and you're like, you're just off to the races now. For me, it's, it's very easy for me when someone says something, they'll say one phrase or there'll be one word, and all of a sudden a song will pop up 
that just hits me from what that phrase or just that one word did and applied, and it drives Daniel crazy sometimes because it is, it is just constant. My, my brain just goes and goes with that at times. Um, there's always a song or something, some kind of beat that's going in the background. It's, this is very, very impactful. And so the, the book of Psalms is art. It's a poetic expression of what has been going on in life, which is why I think that this is, has made it into, uh, into the scriptures is because it was very impactful. And the, the things that we find in it are ways that we experience life the same way that these people were experiencing life. And so we're actually in the tail end of this series. The first, the first week we went through Psalms of Orientation. Because there's four specific stages. The first one, Psalms of Orientation. This is where you have the foundation of who God is and what life is supposed to be like. Right? It's, it's the Israelites knowing this is who our God is. He is the king. He is the ruler of all. He is the, the supreme authority as the sovereign God. He's also the one that delivers us because they remembered way back in the day the stories of what God did from the book of Exodus. Even the, 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 oral, um, the oral tradition of, of sharing what he did in the book of Genesis as well, going all the way back through. This is our family lineage and this is what God has done in the midst of our family. So it's the realization of this is who God is, and this is how my, the, the foundation of my understanding of how life is supposed to happen is based off of this. Now, the next step would be Psalms of disorientation. This is when something happens. So the first one is like God's rule. The second one is, is that this is, this is th- uh, that God allows something to happen in your life that could cause you to feel like you're off kilter. And again, this could be something that happens um, to you personally, it could be like a, a natural disaster in the sense of like sickness that you yourself feel like you're sick and you're like, oh, God, why? What is going on with this? This is crazy. And so this is disorientation. Stage one is the is the, the, the confusion or the thought of, oh, my gosh, I'm just this is the worst thing ever. I don't see any kind of hope. I'm in the, the worst despair. We quoted uh, Psalm 88. We went through that uh, that chapter. It's known as the by many commentators. It's the saddest psalm that you can go through. It's like the first verse of it is like the most high point, and it's still pretty gloomy, and the rest of it is pretty, pretty depressing <laughs> when you go through and read it. You're like, oh my gosh, this is just the worst thing ever. This is horrible. I just don't understand. Oh, this is the worst. And you just, you just feel like there's no hope in the midst of it. Now, this could also be something that happens communally, like when we talk about COVID or something like that. You're like, God, what is going on? Everybody's going nuts. There's disillusion everywhere. They're, I don't know who's telling the truth and who's lying. You know, I, it just seems like this is going to go on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever, right? Or it could be a war, and then you have conflict. So this could be like personal conflict, like you've been accused of something, you personally, whether if it was, uh, was, was something that you really did and you're being accused and you were caught, or maybe it's a false accusation. And so this is the accusatory sections where it's like, oh my gosh, like this, these people are coming against me specifically. It can also look like uh, a, a massive conflict. So it could be something like a civil war or maybe a national war or something like that where you have conflicts with the entire community against another community. And so this is disorientation stage one. It's a huge conflict. It's a it's a, it's a sad or depressing type of thought process, and it makes you ask the questions why, and sometimes we even blame God in the midst of this. Typically, the three different, different people that we end up giving blame to, the first one is God. A lot of people go to God first. It's, God, why did you do this to me, right? The second one is, this enemy or this person or this group or a supernatural force is coming against me, and this is horrible. Or the third one is, is God, I've done this to myself, and I don't see an end to this suffering. 
Now, we talked last week about disorientation stage two. Now, stage two is, is very similar to stage one, where something happens. Something breaks in, and God, God allows some kind of conflict to happen. But in the midst of that, at the very end of it, the difference between stage one and stage two is stage one is you seem like you're in a depressive state, and it's the worst thing ever, and there's no hope. Stage two, however, is where you can, even though you're at the bottom of the pit, you feel, you can still look up and you say, but there's hope in my God, the one who I serve and the one who I trust. And the last stage is Psalms of reorientation. Psalms of reorientation. Uh, we're going to show this graph again real quick, if you would, die, um, put that up. Uh, I just want to remind you, we showed you guys this, this last week, but Dr. Boda put this together. It's very interesting. The purple, I know some of you guys can't see the, the numbers on there, but the purple stands for Psalms of orientation. 29% of the Psalms are these orienting psalms, letting you know this is the foundation of the life that we're supposed to be living by. 29%. The, the red or the pink section there, that's, uh, that's disorientation stage two. That's 48% of the psalms are that we're in the doom and gloom and, and, and the mess of all this, but there's hope. The blue section, the very bottom is disorientation stage one. And then the green section is Psalms of Reorientation, 15%. 15% of that. So it's, I, I thought that last week was very important for us to be able to realize because I think that it's easy for us to look at, um, at the Christian life and feel like it should be mountaintop most of the time. I think there's an expectation that we have as Western thinkers a lot of times that I'm a Christian, therefore I serve a good God, and because I serve a good God, now my life should reflect the mountaintop every single moment. But that's not the, the realities of life. And for those of you guys who have been around for a while, you know that that's not the reality of, of how life goes. <clears throat> so the question is, is, does God change or does my perspective of life need to change and how God operates in the midst of my circumstances? I think that's really the key. How is my perspective in the midst of this stuff? Because if I just have it's going to be a mountaintop experience the entire time and then all of a sudden, what, what Dr. Boda calls a disorientation state happens, then you start to notice that I question in its totality my faith in who God really is. And this is where you start to see people who have been thrust into the public eye start to deconstruct what they call de deconstructionism. And they start to back up and back away from the faith and what they believe because their reality has been shook a little bit. But their hope was found in what made them happy instead of what is true. And the truth of the matter is that if you look at a life of someone like, let's say, David, who wrote the, uh, a, a hefty majority of the Psalms, his life was not full of lollipops and rainbows and butterflies. Jesus was actually called son of David. So there's something specific that we can learn from David's life and how the rhythms of what happened and see that even though Life was not the greatest at times of what you would say is the most enjoyable, and I want my life to model after that. You can see that his response in the midst of that is one of the prominent reasons that I believe that Jesus was also called son of David, was that David's ability to reorient his mind and to look at his heavenly father and say, this is what's happening, I understand and I recall it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not just looking backwards and hoping and wishing I was back in those times when it was all good, not dealing with what's going on now, but I can deal with what's happening here, and I can pay attention and know that this is my reality at this point. However, I know this is not the end. 
And I know that something will come good out of what is not good right now. And you can see that in David's life, that trajectory. He gets to experience and encounter some amazing things. He gets anointed as king, mountaintop. That's pretty sweet, right? <laughs> but then he goes, and there's a guy named Goliath who's oppressing and pushing back against all of Israel. Woo, that's pretty horrible. Pretty scary. He's a big dude. But he doesn't stay in the same thought process and mindset as the rest of the people who are there. He says, no, I understand that this is who my God is, and this is what he can do, and, and this is who he's called us as a nation to be. So I'm going to stand up, and I'm going to realize that even though it looks horrible, even though this dude is massive, even though I, I've fought a lion and a bear, I've not fought this big old dude who's a, a champion in battle, not fought against that guy, but I believe that God can see it through. So he steps up and he sees. His reorientation process is looking up and saying, I'm in the midst of it, but he's going to be there. Stands in front of Goliath. Bam! Goliath goes down, cuts his head off. Woo! Now everybody is, is drawn into a state of reorientation. Oh my gosh, God is truly incredible. And use this boy to come in and to, to set this, this nation free. He's brought into the king's court as someone who could play very well. He gets to see Saul delivered multiple times and alleviated from the spirit that tormented him. That's incredible. Pretty mountaintop experience. You get to walk in, and the thing that you love to do before the Lord is now something that's being used to help um, bring peace to somebody else. Amazing. However, there's a spear that just came and hit me, or just came, came right by me, and I could feel the wind off of it as, it as it's thrown towards me. Now i got to run away from the same person who is experiencing the peace who should be very thankful for, for the gift that God has given and for the, the wonderful expression that we get to have and that he's alleviated. But however, he is so jealous of what the Lord has done inside of my life. Now, I'm in, he's in hot pursuit of me, running away, finding himself in a cave, being chased all over the place, having to find refuge with the Philistines in different times. Like, this is crazy. The same group of people that, that he just fought in battle, he's now trying to find refuge and running away from his own king. That's not a fun time. Disorientation, that's crazy. God, where, where are you at? You remember that time when Samuel came and he put the oil on my head? Like, that was cool. This is not cool. This is not, this is not great. So these are the cyclical prices, uh, processes that we find that in our own lives, you can think of the various moments where you can feel, man, the presence of God is so thick right now in my life. I can just feel, man, this is amazing. Everything is clicking as well. I mean, whether if it's business or family or, or just finances or, you know, things are being done. This is just incredible. It just seems like everything's lined up. And then all of a sudden, what is this? Everything was so good. Maybe it's something from the outside that's, that's breaking in and it's causing this disruption. Maybe it's someone coming against you, or maybe you did something because you felt very comfortable in the state that you were at, that you were lax on, on your, own, your own ways of life. And so it brought, upon, it brought upon you consequences for sin. Now you have to deal with that. Oh my gosh, this is not fun. This is not good. God, you were supposed to be here for me and let me know when I was supposed to do something stupid. Where are you at? This is horrible. But as your perspective changes and you reorient that process and you say, okay, God, that 48%, that's where the majority of our life is found a lot of times. 48%, that's a little less than half of the time 
that you're going to read the Psalms, you're going to find people who are in these dire circumstances, but their position is shifted into realizing there is more if I continue to press on and believe in Jesus. And so what we're going to do is we're moving into this Psalms of reorientation and what this means to be reoriented. We've gone through the orientation and the two stages of disorientation, what it means for those things. And what we see right now is that uh, disorientation, or sorry, it, uh, this is supposed to say, um, yeah, disorientation is where God speaks. God speaks into your circumstance and you realize that there is more. The reorientation is now where God acts. He acts upon those things that are happening in your life. So you see that the, the, uh, the disorientation stage two, that process where you're, where you're like, I'm still in the muck, I'm still in the middle of it, but my perspective, my perspective changes because I know that God is speaking to my heart and I'm being convicted of his, his goodness and his faithfulness to see me through. So now it's not just his voice because how many people have been promised things by other people and they've not followed through with their promises? That leaves you in a state of distrust and it also leaves you possibly helpless depending on the kind of salvation they were promising you from whatever circumstance or scenario that you're in. And so the disorientation stage two is I'm in the muck and I'm listening and God's voice speaks and I know that he is good and faithful and I remember who he said that he was and I remember the good deeds that have happened before. I remember the testimonies that have happened before so I refuse to believe that this is the end for me. And I believe that there is more. So God speaks in the midst of that situation, incredible. However, it's one thing for God to speak and another thing for us to see that through. And so when we come to agreement with God's voice and we start to obey his voice and walk in the confidence that, that he has given us, then you're going to start to see God's activity in the midst of that situation. Because you're not so staring at the mud and wallowing in it to realize that he's actually created a path and opened a door for us at the end. And so reorientation is that God acts. So we see the first section is God rules, then God allows, God speaks, and then now God acts. So if you can't remember the disorientation, reorientation, all that stuff, that's, I know that's new language maybe for some of you guys to think about. It's the God rules. Right, you can't, no. God rules, <laughs> he's, he's the king. And then God allows. He allows things to happen mess with your theology maybe, I don't know, but God allows things to happen. You see it all throughout scripture, and then God speaks, and then God acts. And so psalms of reorientation, these are psalms of thanksgiving. Toda is one of the words that you see for thanksgiving here. And I was listening to, uh, to a lecture that Dr. Boda was giving, and he said that he, was, he spent quite a bit of time at Cambridge doing like a week's or two weeks worth of study as he was preparing for one of his, his uh, for his dissertation. And, uh, and he was really pouring over the word todah. He was spending a lot, a lot, a lot of time looking into what this word means and, uh, and if there's been any kind of misinterpretation of it. And he said that he, he was flying back and uh, he got to, to the airport in Canada because he's from Canada. Um, he got there and he was waiting for his luggage. And anybody, how many guys have flown before? You guys know how that process works. You land, if you check your bags, there's a big carousel at the end where you go pick up your, your luggage. He said he was standing there and waiting, and he said, it seems like everybody else got their luggage. It was, he was waiting. It was between him and uh, this little bitty girl. How many of you guys have ever seen at, <laughs> at any places where the size of luggage doesn't match the size of the human? 
Like you could have this seven foot tall dude and his, his bag is like this big. It's like a little bitty, right? And then you see like a little, I don't know, four foot seven cheerleader girl and the bag is like eight foot tall. Like it's massive. Just she's carrying around a boulder of just things that's with her. And he said, this was one of those circumstances, a little bitty old girl. And there's this massive bag that came rolling out onto the carousel. And he said that he was looking across the way because they were kind of far away from each other. And she was doing one of one of these moves where she was trying to pick it up. And she was going, <coughs> and she was like walking with the carousel trying to pick it up because it was too heavy. And so he's like, oh, man, I, I should probably help this girl out. She's really struggling. So he goes and he picks it up and they're both trying to move and they get it, plop it over. And they're looking at each other face to face as he sets it down. And she says, toda. And he said in that moment, his mind just went just blue. He was like, wow, this Torah is not just a silent act of thanksgiving. Like you're going to write a little note and then you're going to hide it and or send it or something like that. It's an expressive outward thanks that you give to someone. Something that's, that's, uh, that's declared out loud. It's a Torah. It's a, it's a way to be able to give thanks that is impactful and appreciative in that sense. So this Psalms of Thanksgiving, these reorientation Psalms, or not just like an inward thanks, God, for doing what you did. This is an expressive and, uh, and, and a type that you would proclaim out in letting people know what's going on. And so um, the definition of this is it's written in response to God's deliverance, giving thanks for his action and the close relationship made with a vow that you would have. And I put D2 for disorientation stage two. Uh, the, the interesting thing is there, there could be some elements that are unresolved from your disoriented state. However, in the middle of this, you still know that there is a testimony to be proclaimed. A testimony to be proclaimed. And we see a, a type of form here is, is this is very, so that the, the elements that you'll see within this psalm, we've been doing this for the entire series, showing the different things that you'll find in each one of these psalms and what what makes it this type of stage or this type of, of psalm is the first one is the introduction. Um, it gives you the intention of what they're doing. So just like with the Psalms of orientation, we give thanks to the Lord, glorify his name. We're going to do a lot of the same things here. We're going to give God thanks at the beginning of this psalm for what he's done. And then even, even provide a summary. So it's not just give thanks to the Lord for he is the king of kings. That's one of that. That's that would be more of like an orientation psalm. This one is give thanks to the Lord because He is the deliverer of the captives. It would be that type of language. And then you see they will give then a kind of a, a description of distress. So just like when you would give a testimony, you stand up and say, "All right, guys, I just want to give God glory because He set me free of all these things. I was trapped in addiction, doing this and doing that, and this was my state, and I ended up in this place, but." This is what God did in the middle of all these things. It's the same type of thing that you see in this, in this orientation psalm. It's a, re, it's a reorientation of what has happened. It, it lets you know that you had the foundation of who God was, but then circumstance happened. Your perspective changed as God spoke to you and, and as, you, as you found conviction. And then now this is the testimony that you can have in the middle of it. Now, you can say this is what, you know, I've, I've been set free from addiction here. I've been doing this. I may not be where I want to be, but I'm much further than I had been before, and I can see the work of God in my life. That's what these types of psalms are delivering to you. It, it, this is very, very easy to see within your own life. You can notice that there are some things that are maybe unresolved 
some things that I haven't quite seen come to fruition in the way that I would love to. However, I know that I have been in a much worse circumstance in the months or the years or the days before this testimony. And so I'm testifying of what God has done right now in my life and where he's placed me here. And so you have the description of distress, the appeal. This is just what you would do in testimony. And then the description of deliverance, what God did, and then anything else that they want to include within that testimony about God's goodness and grace. And so these are things that you're going to notice within these psalms. So let's go to Psalm chapter 30. Love to do this. I don't just want to tell you about how these psalms are. We want to read through some of them, right? This is good. Psalm chapter 30. I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. You notice that. I will exalt you, Lord. There's the, there's the praise and the thankfulness that they have. Because you have lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. There's a setup. That's a great setup for a testimony. And then you see verse 3. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. This is Sheol. Remember, we talked about Sheol. You spared me from going down to the pit. Again, this is reminiscent to, to, to the way that they would see what Sheol was. Whenever you would take someone who they wouldn't have a, a specific grave marked for them. It wouldn't be a place of rest. It would be a, like almost a discard of those bodies. Someone who did not have a family or who could not be identified in something like that, they would just be put in this pit, in this place of death. It would be seeming as if it was very unrested or unrestful. So in the realm of the dead, you spared me from that, from going down to the pit. Sing the praises of the Lord, you his faithful people. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. That's an interesting thing to think about right there. Again, Lord, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. The, the author sees the circumstances that happen as if God had hid himself from that person. That's how they felt in the middle of this psalm, as if God had hid himself from the circumstance that happened. Now, I, don't, I don't know about you guys, but there have been times in my life where I'm like, God, are you like paying attention? <laughs> are you are like, are you here? Hello? Is my internet connection not working very well? I'm trying to get change providers. What's going on? I'm, I'm struggling here, and I don't, I don't feel like you're, like you're really aware of how horrible this situation is for me right now. I'm, I'm in some type of way, and it's not the good kind. I feel like you hid yourself from me. I was dismayed. Dismayed. To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I called for mercy, or I cried for mercy. What is gained if I am silenced? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? This is the, this is the, the cry out to, 
to the Lord saying, hey, is it like I don't, I don't hear dust crying out to you right now. Like I, I would love to be the voice to, to call out to your faithfulness. I would just love if you saw me, if you, if you were looking upon me. If this was, I want to feel seen. I want to feel like there's something that's, that's happening that can push me out of this, this depth. Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. And then we see a shift right here in verse 11. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. It's easy to miss these things when you're just reading through real fast. Maybe you got your Bible plan and you're just like rolling. You're like, oh, this is okay. I'm in the psalm. This is great. I'm reading a bunch of stuff. Man, this guy is like super bipolar. I don't know what's to deal with this, this writer right here, but I'm, I'm out of here after that one. That was okay. I got my psalm in for the day. I'm going to just move on. That's it. That's, that's really interesting. But to pay attention and to know that these are these were people who actually went through these phases of life. And just to remind you from the last couple times that we've talked, some of these were not completed all in one shot. Like I've gone through a couple different writing sessions with people as far as like writing different songs. And and I mean, I'm nowhere near a professional or anything like that. But even in the very like early stages of, of just practicing writing songs and doing stuff like that. Some of them could happen pretty quickly, and you're like, wow, that was great. I just wrote that song in like 30 minutes or an hour or something like that. And then other ones, it's like we're spending days or weeks or even months combing through what, what the lyrics of this song needs to say. And how does it sound? Does it, does it relate? Is this, is this true? Is this something that I've gone through? How, what's a better language that we could use to, to explain these things? And so some of these psalms were not just written all in one fatal swoop. Bam! Some of them, especially the psalms of disorientation, took some time to go through, and if you go through commentaries, you'll see they'll, they'll explain a couple of these things about how there were certain elements that, that could have been added different times depending on when it was written. And so you can see the testimony that came from this. He's saying, here, Lord, be merciful to me. Like, I, what is gained if I'm silenced? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Like, plead to God, like, yo, I, come on, do something. This, I'm in need. I'm in need right now. Oh, God, my God, I need you. Right? I need you now. This is it. I'm struggling. But then the shift in verse 11. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. This is a beautiful thing. It's called, they call this in, uh, in, in Old Testament theology, they call it the reversals that happen within a passage. It seems like it's going one way, and then all of a sudden the attitude reverses, and you see that it's like something turned on and clicked for the writer. And you reverse into this place of going, oh, I understand now. I understand And something that's very interesting is, and I brought this up, is the section where they said, Lord, you hid your face and I was dismayed. Sometimes, in the middle of circumstance, you will not get a specific answer as to why or how this ended up happening. 
why specifically did this happen? Not sure, but I know that you were faithful and you brought me out of it. So I'm going to praise you in my uncertainty and praise you in the mystery of maybe some of the things that happened. Now, the Lord will give you answers for specific things, but sometimes you're not going to be revealed all of the reasons why. So let me free your mind a little bit and thinking that you have to have all the answers pent up before you're able to give God praise. Sometimes we don't know. Sometimes we will know, and that's great too. But sometimes we won't know exactly why someone came against us. Come on, some, there's some people that if they're deceitful and they're trying to come against you, they're trying to do some nefarious things, they're trying to be, you know, horrible. We don't know exactly why those people do those things. We may never know why they did those things because you may not be the only person in their crossfire. There may be some other people that they're trying to snipe at as well too. But the good thing that you know is that God is good and he's gracious and he's, he's faithful. He's holy, he's righteous, and he's just. And so when things and people come against you, even though you may not know why specifically, you know that you can trust in God because he knows and he knows how to deal with those things. And so even in the mystery, you can still give God praise. Even the, in the uncertainty, you can still give him glory. And so these are great reminders of it's okay if you feel, he, David felt, God, you, I feel like you hid your face, and I was dismayed. I was just completely undone. Why on earth is this happening to me? However, he was still able to give him praise because he was able to see God move him through to a faithful end. Another variation that we see is not just um, this type of, of just thankfulness for that. It's also thankfulness and forgiveness. <clears throat> thankfulness and forgiveness. This is a little bit different of a reorientation. So the other one is like, people are coming against me. This is happening to me. There are all kinds of things happening, maybe even to the community. Why, God, is this happening to everyone? But I now see that you're faithful in the midst of it. This one is, God, I screwed up. <laughs> but you were for, you're a forgiving God. And you're the one who actually brought me through and showed me mercy in the midst of this. And so these so, uh, thanksgiving and forgiveness psalms, the definition is a psalm written in response to God forgiving sin and giving thanks for God's mercy. This is another type of reorientation that we see. So let's turn to Psalm 32. There's a couple I could have used here, but Psalm 32 is a really good one. Another, another great one if you want to go back to is, is to see the, uh, the passage in Psalm 51, how David pours his heart out to God and his, his, his mistake that he made with Bathsheba and all the things that were going on through there. <coughs> The great example of, of, of David coming to realization of his need for God in that. Let's go verse 1. It says, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as, the heat, as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. I'm going to read that verse again. That's really good. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, 
and you forgave my, the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with the songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by a bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in the heart. <clears throat> the first five verses deal with confession as a path to forgiveness. Blessed is the one, right? Blessed is the one. He mentions that multiple times in that. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, sins are covered. This is beautiful imagery as he talks about the covering of sins by God and not himself covering his own iniquity. Think about that imagery that comes through. He mentions this in those two areas. The very top, he says, blessed is the one whose sins are forgiven and transgressions are covered. He said, I will confess to you, O Lord. I will not cover my own iniquity. This is the, the, the glorious nature of the testimony that this psalmist shares right here in this way because he says, just like in the disorientation stage two, the thing that gets you out of that place first and foremost, is to realize this is where I'm at. Especially when he's talking about forgiveness, needing forgiveness, something that you have done. I put myself in this horrible position. I'm dealing with the consequence right now of my actions. So I'm just going to lay bare in front of you, God, and say, I'm not hiding anything. You already know what's going on, so let me just confess to you the things that I'm dealing with and the things that I'm trying to fix on my own so that I can see you work in the middle of my heart and then give me out of this because I know that you are faithful and you are merciful and you are forgiving. And so let me just, just give you every single thing that I've been dealing with and that I've been struggling with. Let me give you all of my lustful desires. That doesn't just mean sexual. That could mean any type of way that you lust after something. I lust after food or you can lust after power. You know, many different things that you can uh, uh, want to desire in a perverted sense. Or if you lust for power, then you will backbite and you will undercut and you will divide just so that you can get to a position of, of quote-unquote favor inside of other people's eyes. It's lusting after something. You're perverting the nature of what it was actually supposed to be meant for. So God, I put myself in this situation, so I'm just going to lay myself bare and show all the things that I've been trying to do to elevate my own self instead of elevating you in my life. Blessed. The human sin and divine forgiveness is met in verses 1 through 2. Verses 3 through 4 tell about the portrayal of distress, what's going on in the human struggle. Again, that's the, for day and night your hand was heavy on me, so they were feeling this oppressive nature. And then 5 is the acknowledgement of the sin to God. And then verses 6 through 11 is the response to forgiveness that you see, the thanksgiving and and the discipleship in the middle of it. 
inviting people. Let all the faithful pray to you. Inviting everyone around you. So in your testimony, you can also deliver a wonderful message to people saying, hey, don't be like me in waiting so long for this to happen. Or be quick to jump to forgive, to asking for forgiveness and be quick to, to tell of the things that you're struggling with because this is the outcome that can happen from here. So let all the faithful, if you count yourself faithful, let the faithful confess. Let them confess and pray to you because surely the rising of these waters will not reach them. As it feels like the flood is coming in and it's getting higher and higher and higher and higher, it will actually not reach you as you confess and you cry out to the Lord. The despair of complete annihilation of your soul will not occur as you reach out and you cry out to the Lord. And then the, dec the declaration, God, you are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. <clears throat> this is why we sing that song, right? Surrounding, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It's a change of perspective. It may look like I'm surrounded. Yes, the enemy is surrounding me at every side, it seems like. And it does not look good. However, when my pers perspective changes, it's like the prophet told told his right-hand guy, he's like, hey, go, go look out again. Lord, open this person's eyes so that they can see what is really happening right now. Ah, my perspective is changed and transformed now. Even though it looks like it's horrible, I can actually have joy in this moment because I know that he is the one that is faithful to see me through. It is not in my own striving. And then we see in the final verses, even the necessity, the, the, the testimony of saying you need discipleship, I instruct you, I will instruct you and teach you the way that you should go. This is extremely important for us to have in our testimonies that we give. Because it's not just the fact that I experienced this, I went through that, now look at me. Everything is good and dandy now, that's awesome. Now I'm just going to go about my ways and that was the only thing I had to go through. No, 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 no. No, this is, this is a cry of the psalmist saying, I will instruct you and teach you the way that you should go because you need to have the same perspective. You need to know God for yourself as well because it cannot be my faith that saves you. It cannot be my relationship with the Lord that gives you access to him as well. That's whenever we see a misuse of people who are standing at pulpits and we see a misuse of leadership in those moments too because then that person becomes an oracle for God to only speak to you through them. And that is not the way that we're supposed to be living our life. Jesus did not die on the cross for you to have to go to somebody for them to tell you every single thing that you need to do with your life. It needs to be through your relationship with God that you can see him work through you in those moments. And it needs to be the faith that you have in Christ. It cannot be through somebody else. Sure, you can be encouraged by other people. That's the reason why we gather, right? And so that we can be encouraged and uplifted and we can be pushed. And, you know, it's a lot easier to be able to, to do um, strenuous activity when you're with other people who are also in the middle of it. And you can be excited about moving forward and the progress of that. But that doesn't mean that that person is now responsible for your relationship with God. You need to go through the process of studying scripture, asking questions, 
and going through the process of knowing what it means to love God and to hide his word in your heart so that you do not sin against God. Come on, that scripture doesn't say, hide, hide, let, let's, let's hide the word in the pastor's heart so that he can tell you how not to sin. Hide his word in your heart so that you may not sin. Sinning is missing the mark. That's all it means. That's all, the word means to miss the mark. It's from archery. So when you don't hit the standard, you don't hit the mark that you're supposed to, you sin. You, you swung and you missed pretty hard sometimes. You know what helps you hit the mark? You pick that arrow back up and you can ask somebody, hey, what did I do wrong? We were going, we, I took a group of students um, about a week and a half ago to, to Kansas City and we took them top golfing. Most of them never, never went and played top golf before or even like swung a club. So it was really, have you guys ever seen anybody who's never hit a club? And like the difference between someone who's really good at golf and the difference between someone who like they don't even know what swinging something looks like, <laughs> like is real fun. It's real fun watching. And, uh, and so watching the light bulb go off as a couple of those kids, they would, they would take a swing. That was my interpretation of a real bad swing. They take a swing and they're like, this is horrible. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. And I'm not a pro golfer by any means, but I can at least swing it and, and make contact. And so I'm like, hey, if you put your foot here, and, you, and I just gave them a couple little pointers, just a couple of things, and whoosh, a couple of them just whacked it. I'm like, dude, that was amazing. Look at that. It was crazy. And so being able to take just a little bit of instruction and pointers and then be able to apply it is very helpful. If you've never done something before, you've never approached Scripture, maybe you've never um, gone through a specific type of of struggle in your life, then finding people who have gone through those struggles and who have experienced and encountered that, and you see, hey, you you look like you're like still still moving, like you're still in this thing, and I know your testimony. I've heard your testimony of what's what's happened in your life. So tell me about it. How how are you how are you making it? Like what what was the process? How did you go through this this circumstance? How did you have the faith to move through there? And start to ask questions so that you can be encouraged by them to go to scripture and then also to find that in your own self as well. Knowing that God will speak to you. It's not just reserved for somebody who stands up with a microphone on a Sunday morning. I love the, the, the last verse. He says this. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in the heart. This is a call to the community. Now not just for for them to pursue after their own instruction and things like that, but it's so that they can all give thanks to God for what has happened in this person's life. That God has been seen as a deliverer, as a strong tower, as the foundation and as the one who could bring you through circumstance. I can give God praise because of what he's done inside of your life. When you share your testimony, it's you're prophesying. The testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. If you can tell someone of, of how God has brought you through your circumstance, you're prophesying to them, he will do it again in you. He did it in me. He did it before. He did it with these guys. You can see all throughout scripture where he's done it time and time and time and time again. He's done it before and he will do it again. So we can give God praise because of what he has done. And so the rhythms for life will see that this happens time and time again. So it's not just a one-shot process of, okay, I'm, I'm oriented. I hit a couple of these disorientation stages, and then now, boom, I'm reoriented, and all things are good. No, this is a, 
These are the ebbs and flows of what we encounter. But the beautiful thing that we get to know is that if we encounter this one time, then we will have faith that he can do that again. And then he could do that again. Then he could do that again. And then that starts to, to come to the understanding to where I can actually move through some of these phases a little quicker in my own thought process. I'm not just stuck in, in wallowing in, in all of my shame or guilt or, or in the things that people are doing against me and feeling like there's no hope. Actually, I can know that I can walk right into that, that place where God speaks because I know that he's done this before. So I can have the confidence that I, it may not be good now, but he's not done yet. And that's my thought process. From the time that, that something terrible happens or something that knocks you a little off kilter, you can hurry up and realign yourself and go, okay, God, what are you saying in the middle of this circumstance? And what are you requiring of me in this time? Do I need to keep my mouth shut? Instead of pursuing after, uh, after, after a lot of hardcore backbiting or, you know, trying to defend myself? Or are you going to do something in, in this circumstance? Do, do you need me to stand for something specifically and to proclaim your word in the middle of a scenario could be very possible. The important thing in every single piece of this is to be able to hear his voice and then to obey his voice. That's, that's one of the most simple explanations of worship that I could give you. Worshiping is being able to hear and obey. Your obedience is one of the greatest ways that you can worship God. Because it shows that you have faith in the words that he says. You trust his word, so you obey his voice. And then as you see things happen, in your obedience, in that worship, you can then give him praise. And then you'll start to see that he's made known in the middle of your circumstance a lot more as you orient yourself to him instead of to the circumstance. You start to see him instead of the things that are going on. And in that, you can then move in wisdom, and you can walk in righteousness, and you can be found without fault. And then if you were at fault beforehand, you can quickly move to the process of asking for forgiveness from God and from man. And then watch restoration happen through what God is doing in your heart. So let's stay in this morning as we, as we close. I don't want to keep you too long. I, I do want to encourage you guys that as, as, we, as we begin to wrap up, I'll probably do one more one more uh, service um, next week to wrap up this entire series and, and to go through a few things. But what I want to encourage you in this is that, that the book of Psalms is a really great place to go to whenever you're, you're wanting to understand what it means to follow God in the midst of circumstance and trials. This is not the only place that talks about it. I mean, we've mentioned James chapter 1, verse 2, consider it pure joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Huge aspect of this as well. But the, but the thing that you can realize is that the book of Psalms was something that, that they used consistently in the synagogues and in their lifestyles to read through and to hear. Many of the words of the prophets were, were a cry out to the people to turn from their wickedness and to pursue after God, to get rid of the idolatry that was in their heart, the things that disoriented them or that caused disorientation. And to move into a place of, of recognition of God is the one that I need to serve. God's voice is trying to break in in some of your places of disorientation in your life. 
he's speaking in various ways. You just have to pay attention to how he's communicating to you, what he's saying. I know I'm looking around this room and I can see that different people are in different aspects of their life right now. But we're all here together in this place. I see testimony after testimony as I'm looking around of things that God has done to bring you from one place to another. Sometimes you, you've been walking side by side in what, what you feel like the Lord is leading you into, and you, it's like you're going arm in arm with him. Other times it feels like he's dragging you through <laughs> because you just are not in any place or position to be able to do something like that. Your mind has not been in a place to, to realize what you need, but he still, he still carries you. For some of you guys, it's like, man, I, I just remember all these things that have happened before, and it's just a beautiful testimony. And I'm on a solid rock right now of his, of his testimony. Some of you guys are fresh in a new testimony season of God just brought me through this, and it's a beautiful thing, and it's worthy of praise to the Lord. Remember these rhythms for life, and the, the, the base foundation of all of this is that God is sovereign, and he is the king. And even though the enemy is going to try to come in and cause disillusion and cause distraction and even cause you to pay attention to certain areas of ministry to make you feel validated for things that you've done before. And when you find that you don't have reprieve in the midst of that, that you don't find rest in that, that you can reorient yourself and say, I'm concentrating on ministry more than I'm concentrating on Jesus. Come on, that's important. We mentioned that this morning. It's not the fact that you can go to the well and you can draw from it. It's the fact that you can go to Christ who is the living water. And the wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit provides the life in you that can pour out and affect other people as well so that they can be drawn to the Savior too. You cannot be distracted by just doing things and feel like that's the thing that gets you the relationship with God. There's a merriment of trusting in him and having faith, the faith that this is who God is and it is he who set me free and also walking in faith the things that he's asking me to do. But if you lean so heavily on this is what God is going to do and he's great and he's awesome, but you don't lift a finger to try to pursue the things that he's asking you to, you're not being transformed by the renewing of your mind. You're not quickly asking for forgiveness whenever you're the person that's caused a lot of offense. Then you will not see the reorientation stage until that happens. We need to both be people of action and people of relationship. You cannot lean on one side or the other. It has to be both. That's why I love that James talks so much about, about faith and, and, and doing. Faith without works is dead. He speaks huge on this. Faith without works is dead. And then Paul, it seems like they contradict one another, but it's actually a beautiful merriment. Paul's like, hey, it's only through faith that you have been saved. Faith in Christ. It's not anything that you can do so that you can boast about what you've done so that you've been saved. You bring the two together, though, and my goodness, that's a powerful combination of a spirit-filled life that is lived for God and impacting people.
So whatever stage that you're in this morning, whatever stage, I just want to pray a, pla- a f- I want to pray a prayer of blessing over you, that you would be quick to hear His voice, and that you would be quick to act on the things that He's asked you to in this season. Father, thank you so much for these people. Thank you for what you're doing inside these hearts. Thank you for your scripture and for our ability to read through them and for the Holy Spirit to illuminate the scriptures and and share with us what we need for for us to understand in the season of life that we're in. I thank you for the opportunity to come together and to share what's going on in our lives with one another. Lord, thank you that we're called to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Lord, that we could be wonderful companions in the middle of people's tough times in life. To help them walk through these stages in full trust and and honor of you. And that we could also rejoice whenever you see them through these specific trials, Lord. To where we can give you praise and glory and honor in the midst of every single place that you have seen us through. I pray a prayer of blessing right now over each and every one of these households. That Lord, as they come together, that there be no division. That as they share openly with one another what's going on in their hearts, that they would be, um, they would be quick to forgive, quick to come alongside, and quick to encourage. Lord, that we would be, be quick to open up as we struggle with certain things in our own hearts, Lord. So that we can allow you to do the kind of surgery that needs to be done on our hearts. So that we can experience healing and wholeness. Not just in being, sa- in, in being saved and being content with being saved. But Lord that we can walk in the wholeness that you've called us to as believers. So that we can be set free from the condemnation and the guilt and the frustration. And even, even bodily, bodily distress Lord. So I pray that you just meet each of these people in the areas of their heart that they need to. Lord, for those who are sick in body, I just pray over them right now that the Holy Spirit would just touch them. Sickness, go in Jesus' name. Depression, leave in Jesus' name. Anxiety, go in Jesus' name. And give each and every one of these people a desire for your word so that they can go to what is true and be oriented into that position. We love you, God. We praise you. We thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. If you would like some prayer, we would love to pray with you. Uh, Feel free to come on up. Um, Otherwise, you guys have a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful day. If you see my little girl, it's my baby's third birthday today. So tell her happy.